I'm going to invite Lincoln to come up and share with us God's word. And I'm going to pray for Lincoln when he comes up. So you switched on. How about I pray while those cups are being collected? Thank you. Dear Father, we thank you that uh, we have the freedom to open your word today, the freedom to gather like this without fear of persecution, the freedom to hear your voice in our minds and in our spirit. Father, we pray that as Lincoln spent time uh, preparing this message from your word, that what he says, what you say through him, will impact our hearts and minds and cause us to obey. We ask that you'll strengthen him, empower him by your spirit this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Lincoln. There you go. So um, we're mainly going to be looking at the account of Palm Sunday How's that? Good? Can you hear me? So we're going to be um, mainly going through the account by Luke, but we're going to be going back and forth between the other accounts in the other Gospels as well, um, just to fill in some of the areas that aren't mentioned in Luke. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll read through Luke chapter 19 verse 28 to 40 we'll read through it together after Jesus had said this he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives he sent two of his disciples saying to them go to the village ahead of you And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, are you moved? The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead, sorry. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. 
As I was preparing to speak and present the Palm Sunday message, I was praying that God would reveal a new understanding of this scripture to me and reveal a greater and more in-depth grasp of the story of Palm Sunday. As someone growing up in the church, I would have probably heard, well, exactly heard, 26 Palm Sunday messages. Some great, some not so great. Some of them I walked away taking absolutely nothing away. Others I walked away and thought, well, that is a really great perspective on what that means to that person presenting the message. So as I was reading through multiple translations and commentaries as I normally try to do when I'm preparing a message, what stood out to me was the four words, the Lord needs it. As in scripture, every time we see Jesus refer to the Lord, he's speaking of his heavenly Father. We see this, I'll wait till this is working, there we go. We see this many times in Jesus' interactions with his disciples. And then on top of that, throughout scripture, we very rarely see Jesus mention his need for anything. One of the only physical needs he ever states is at the well with a woman from Samaria when he says that he needs water. But we then see that this is a way of him leading into one of the great I am statements. Then the only other time we see Jesus mention his need for anything is his need for obedience to the Father, his need to spend time with the Father and his need for prayer or to spend time in prayer with his Father. So in Jesus saying to his disciples that they are to tell anyone that asks that the Lord needs it, he's actually saying, my father needs it. Which displays to us that once again, the act of him entering the city on a donkey was not something he simply chose to do, but once again an act of humble obedience. We see this throughout scripture many times. Firstly, when he was just a child, left alone in the temple. Luke chapter 2, verse 49 to 50. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then we see it in his prayers to the father. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 to 42. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, 
may your will be done. Then we also see it in Luke as he's praying, as he's preparing for what's going to follow on the cross. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. It's a repeating theme that we continually see throughout Scripture. The Son's humble obedience to the Father, one that we'll look more into shortly. So then, if in saying the Lord needs it, he is saying the Father needs it, God needs it, why would an all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, need a donkey, and a colt donkey at that? There is a few reasons. I believe this may be so. The first being it displays an image of humility. Yes, the act of Jesus riding through the city on horseback or donkey back relates to the conquering king, making it known that he is the victorious one and he is displaying his power and majesty and victory. And that's something the culture of the time would have understood completely. And I'm sure they probably expected to see their king riding through the streets on a cult, something more like the cult of old regret from the man from Snow River. Not a donkey, especially not a young donkey. Secondly, it was prophesied that the king would enter riding on a donkey. We don't see this in the account by Luke, but we do see it in both Matthew and John's account. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4 to 5, referring to the prophecy in Zechariah, reads, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. Once again, this was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. This would have been something that a majority of the population at the time would have been completely aware of, but none more so than the critics of Jesus' ministry. So as we keep reading through Luke's account of what happened on Palm Sunday, he mentions something else that the other accounts don't mention. He mentions the Pharisees' reaction to all of this. And to be honest, we shouldn't be particularly surprised by this. As for most of Jesus' ministry, he had been somewhat careful about who he revealed his full and true identity to. His identity as a son of God and as the Messiah. And at times even requested the people that understood who he was, wouldn't share it. But now we see in an act of humble obedience, Jesus is bearing it all, so we could only expect there to be Pharisees there waiting to question him or demand it be put to an end. In Luke chapter 19, verse 39 to 40, we read, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, 
there is no mention as to why the stones will cry out or no reason why the people must not keep quiet. But I think the reason, once again, is because Jesus knew the Lord needs it. Now, hear me when I say, I'm not saying the Lord needs it because he's reliant on us to be God or his ability to be God comes from us. That's not what I'm saying. But simply because that's what he created us for. After all, what follows the events of Palm Sunday displays how great God's unconditional love and desire for relationship with us is. God needs us to worship him. It's at the very core of what we were created to do. And God's greatest desire is to see his people live a life that honours and glorifies him. But in doing that, he also knows that we will be fulfilled. So what do those four words, the Lord needs it, mean for us? There is three things that I believe this means for us. Firstly, the Lord needs you, the need for our obedience, and the need for our praise. The need. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 31. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. So there's an animated movie that some of you may have seen called Robots. But as a kid, I watched over and over there's a motto used throughout the movie, see a need, fill a need. In the movie, it's talking to inventors and entrepreneurs. But I believe when God sees a need, he fills a need. Here we see God's need for Jerusalem to see their saviour. The need to have the news of the Messiah delivered before them. So Jesus obediently entered Jerusalem as God needed him to. Then following the events of Palm Sunday, we see Jesus' obedience to the Father and the Father's will to fulfill the need for the price to be paid for our salvation through his very own blood. But as you read through Luke's account on Palm Sunday, there is another need that comes with Jesus riding into the city. He had the need to enter the city riding on something. Pretty obvious. Something God knew. So that once again, he sees a need and fills a need. By having a donkey, a colt donkey, fill that need. So what does that mean for us? In the process of writing this sermon, I came across a story about a young missionary who was starting off in the mission field. And when asked when, what things motivate him to keep doing mission work, even when he may not be seeing the results, he said the words, the Lord 
needs it. When asked why that was so, he explained that that's simply the calling on all of our lives. It's the calling we are given under the Great Commission. And if the Lord needed a donkey, not just wanted a donkey, then he also needs me to fulfill my calling. It's not a matter of us being asked to do it, but it's a command. We simply need to do it. Now, we may not all have the opportunity like the young missionary did to serve in remote villages or in far-off lands, but we do have the opportunity to fill the needs in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, even in our own church. We have the opportunity to fulfill this need through the gifts and abilities God gives us. I'm just a mechanic. Yes, that's my job. And majority of the time, my hobby. But more than that, it's a great opportunity that God has given me to serve through that gift I've been given. Countless times, God has enabled me to use that ability I have as a mechanic to serve him. I strongly believe God puts us in a place to enable us to fill a need, which then leads into the next point. The need for our faithful obedience. Luke chapter 19, verse 32 to 36. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I've already mentioned the obedience that Jesus had to the Father. And it's a repeating theme that we continually see throughout Scripture, especially throughout the Gospels. But there is also the obedience of the two other characters in this account. The obedience of the two disciples sent out and the obedience of the donkey. Now, I know the first one is probably easier to understand. Jesus gave directions to his disciples on what needed doing. And they did it obediently. I do wonder if in their minds they had any doubt on whether the donkey would actually be there or if simply saying the Lord needs it would be convincing enough to the owners of the donkey to let them take it. But we don't know any of that. All we read is that they did and said exactly as Jesus needed them to, and that was simply enough. Now, the donkey. You may be probably thinking, it's a donkey. The donkey had no choice. Isn't it the donkey's job to be ridden? Well, yes, that is true. But that takes training, time and experience to be able to enable a donkey to be ridden. I don't know how many of you have ever ridden an animal that's never been broken in or not ridden before. I've never ridden a horse nor a donkey that's not been broken in, but I've done some less or more than questionable things during my high school years. And one of those things would 
having to be trying to ride a couple of bulls and even trying to jump out of a tree on top of a wild buffalo to see if I could ride it. And I can guarantee you there is nothing easy or gentle about that ride. And I imagine the ride on the back of a donkey that's not been broken in or never been ridden before to be fairly similar. So the fact that God needed a donkey that had never been ridden before, then the disciples were able to place their coats over it and Jesus was able to gently ride through the streets of Jerusalem in itself to me displays God's ability to use whoever he so chooses. We just need to respond and act in obedience as God's the one who enables us to use our gifts and abilities. We just need to be waiting for the Father to say, I need you, and be ready to respond in action. We see this continually throughout Scripture, through Moses with his stutter, Paul with his less than clear past, Abraham and Sarah with their barrenness and old age, Jonah with his lack of trust, Peter with his lack of confidence and courage, Timothy with his young age, Yet God used them to do some of his greatest work. No matter how young or old you are, your line of work, your level of education or your past failures, God has a need for you to fulfill. And he will use you when you are willing to act in obedience to that calling. And finally, the need for our praise. Luke chapter 19, verse 37 to 40. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Some of the young adults in the church have been going through a Bible study series called The Story. In the study, it often refers to there being an upper story, which is God's story or God's plan throughout Scripture, and a lower story, which is our story or our response to God's story. Praise is a perfect example of this. In the upper story, praise is important to God because our God is holy. He's powerful. He's an almighty God. But he's also a jealous God. And God created us so he could have relationship with us. We are told in scripture that God delights in our praise and worship. It pleases God when he hears us acknowledging him and praising his name joyfully. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 16 reads, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In the lower story, we were made to dwell in relationship with God. We were created to praise him, 
but too often we choose not to. But we are not only recommended to praise God, but we are told we need to repeatedly throughout Scripture. So why? Our praise is one of the many ways we are able to practically dwell in relationship with God. But praise is also one of the ways that we are able to generally display our love for God. It's how we declare our acknowledgement of what he has done for us and will do for us. I think it's important to read what the people were actually shouting out in praise to Jesus as he rode down the streets of Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 21 verse 9, we are told the crowds proclaimed, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In John chapter 12 verse 13, we are told they took palm branches and went out to him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. In Mark 11 verse 9, we are told the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then finally, in Luke, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, there are three main points that stood out to me here. The first being the repeated use of the word Hosanna. Then the people shouting blessings to Jesus. And thirdly, the palm branches. So the word Hosanna. The word actually means save or save us. So in their praise, they're actually making a plea to God. So yes, our praise is a way of us giving glory and honour to God and us acknowledging what he has done, but it's not only what he has done, but also what he will do. God delights in our praise. He delights in us coming before him and presenting our needs and requests to him. Secondly, the crowd shouted, Bless the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Part of us praising God is acknowledging who he actually is. Acknowledging how powerful and mighty he is. Acknowledging we don't deserve his grace, but he continually gives it to us. Acknowledging how amazing and majestic his creation is. I know for myself, nothing makes me focus on God's majesty more than a clear night sky out over central Queensland or a red-stained sunset over the coast. God's desire for us is to delight in these moments. He desires for us to delight in who he is and what he's done for us. And lastly, the palm branches. For the culture of the time, the palm branches were a symbol of victory, triumph, peace and eternal life. 
So in waving the palm branches and laying them along um, over the road, it wasn't just a random act of joy as he rode down the streets on the donkey, but a purposeful response to their king and coming salvation. Not only do we have a need to praise God through our words or thoughts, but our actions need to also be bringing praise to him. In scripture, we are told to do all things for the glory of the Father. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God desires our lives to be devoted to him. He knows we need it. The lowest story of praise is our need, whether we know it or not, to purposefully and continually be acknowledging who God is, what he has done, and what he will do for us daily. So let's wrap it up. I guess I have three separate challenges for you all this week. Firstly, during the week... Firstly, during the week, I challenge you to take some time to ask God to direct you and allow you to see the places that he sees a need and allow him to use you to fill that need. Whether it be being more purposeful with your conversations at work or taking time to pray regularly for someone or calling that person that God has continually been nudging you to call or to serve in a ministry that God has put on your heart. Secondly, to act in obedience to that. Allow God to use you to fill that need. He is the one that enables us. He is the one that blesses us with our gifts, abilities and passions. He can use you to fill the need so much better than you could ever try to do it yourself. And thirdly, Take time to focus on the need that we have to be praising God continually. Something we do every week at a Bible study we do for young adults is we take time after doing the study, before we spend time in prayer, to each say where we've ever seen God throughout the week or something we're thankful to God for. Because in the busyness of life and the craziness of everything going on, how often do we actually set aside time to acknowledge what God has done and will do for us and reflect on that. As God knows, we need it, but the Lord also needs it. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the truths that are in your scripture and how we can be encouraged by them I pray that as we go out into the world, um, into this week, that you allow us to see the needs that you have for us to fulfill and that we will be looking for them and seeking your guidance in those areas, Lord. But I pray that when we see that need, we'll be obediently reacting to it and be obediently filling that need, but also that we'll be purposeful with our time